Hey, thanks so much for tuning in for another episode of the Lightspeed Lawn Care Podcast. I am so excited today. Once again, we have kicked Robert out of the studio. We love to see him, but I keep forgetting to ask him if he's available for guest interviews. And so today we are sitting down with Caleb Amon. You probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know who he is. But Caleb, just in, on the off chance that anybody listening is not sure who you are, will you give us a little intro? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. I sure don't want to be so bold that any anyone knows who I am. So, you know, it's very bold, small podcast. It's bold to assume that anyone would know me. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Well, but I, my name is Caleb Lovin. We have a landscape construction, landscape design build company in beautiful Fairfield County, Ohio, just southeast of Columbus, Ohio. We have some social media stuff. We do a training academy for hardscape construction and some other things like that. So we've got a lot going on, but we're, we're cruising along and it's been an awesome career so far. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm flattered. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. So last week, what the listeners heard was we talked to someone with kind of a medium-sized maintenance company talking about kind of the hurdles that they felt they had to overcome to get to 100K in top-line revenue. And so as kind of a sequel to that, we want to talk about some of the big hurdles that you encounter from 100, 200 to getting over a million. And so when I was looking at who could we talk to about this, I thought Caleb would be an excellent choice to give us just some of the big hurdles, maybe mindset shifts that you have to adopt to be able to move from the six figures into the seven. Hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity then. And We've done more wrong than we've done right over the years. Sometimes I feel like, at least in my initial, you know, my first company, I crashed my first company, you know, trying to grow a, a company and trying to be everything to everyone and trying to do everything myself, essentially. And, and so that, that initial growth, you know, getting to 100K by yourself is easy. And I think my, my buddy Brian Fullerton says that, you know, you can go uh, fast by yourself, but you can go far with a team. And the biggest thing with with growing a company or scaling a company past you know the six figure mark or you know well into six figures is is your team and your people and it's it's the cliche I feel like just standard answer but there's a reason for that and it is you have to be willing to let go of the reins and delegate to your people your staff to to take over projects so you can go out and, and start procuring more work and and uh, growing the company and so it's it's a it's a huge mental you know sh- de- depending on your skill set i mean if you're a you know type a you know you want to everything your way is the perfect way and nobody else can do it as good as you that's a mindset you've got to fix and mm-hmm. kind of change your your outlook on because you've got to realize that people can do it you know maybe maybe not as good as you maybe better than you very possibly or at least do it good enough that that would satisfy the general public for whatever services you're providing and then you train up to whatever level of competency you want those you know those team members to become to your standards or whatever but but really still even that that all comes down to again hiring people that you trust that can you you can train and, and build a team together to take the company wherever you you set goals to be yeah and i think that that mindset of i I'm kind of, I do the best at everything, or I know the right way to do everything is a lot of times why guys get into business for themselves. So we're, you know, that was what got you out the door, but it's not what's going to get you all the way to where you want to go. Absolutely, man. There's, 
there is a, a, a huge thing you have to realize in business of like where, you know, what, just what kind of company do you want to create? That's just, you know, it's all about the goal setting. And then, you know, what do you want to go to a million dollars? Do you want to go to $10 million and, and starting to read and understand what it takes to get there? Our company, our revenue hovers right around a company by any stretch. We're not, you know, kid contractor status anymore either. I would say, you know, by, by what I would compare us to when we, when I started out, right. You know, we want to grow more. And we were just talking about that a little bit ago of like what that's going to take to double in size. And, and a big part of that is going to be, you know, hiring a, a salesperson slash design landscape designer and doubling our field production staff. And, and so that's a huge part of that is, is learning to trust a salesperson to represent our company and set up, you know, how that's going to look and work and what their experience to grow, you know, to, to sell work, not me selling work. That's going to be really weird. You know, I'm not going on a sales call or someone else representing the company from that perspective. I don't have any problem with my guys going out and representing the company because they're really good at what they do. I've never had someone go out and represent the company from a sales standpoint. That's going to be weird. Yeah. You know, that's going to be a whole nother shift for us. So that'll be a source to be a, a segment of growth for me, you know, releasing that part of the, the company identity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's is. So is that kind of, does this feel like the, the last ladder rung for you on like delegating things where you're like fully, managing the company now that was kind of your your last thing on the the normal employee plate to give up it, it would be if i'm understanding the question correct me and forgive me if i'm not i i would say yeah the, the sales the sales and design end of things would be the last i like to kind of and i guess really where where we want to keep going with the company is Brittany and i because my wife owns our company technically and her and i want to keep being the visionaries of it and driving it where where we want it to go and that's that's always the case with the owners no matter what size your company is that that you are the person that's really directing and steering the ship and that is as you hire more people that vision becomes more and more important of deciding what type of work we want to keep doing or not doing and where where we want to take this thing and the bigger the company grows, the more time you need to allocate to that, I believe, and into it and learning what to do and, and learning, you know, maybe learning on the fly of how to do that, how to be better about that. And that'll be something we're going to be looking at is, you know, what, what do sales processes look like for someone that just doesn't inherently know in myself as the owner, how to go out and sell a project or what are, what are standards and standard operating procedures that we should make sure we have in place when we interview for a salesperson to, to look at that position. So that's going to be a, a big learning curve for us. I think it'll be interesting, but I've been in business long enough now that I think I know that I don't know how to do it. So I need to learn how to do it, you know, learn how to set that up and, and act with, you know, this other you know, the salesperson we might hire and, and lean on them as to what they think like a good standard operating procedure for a sales process should be as well. So when you're looking at, offboarding a you know significant chunk of of your responsibilities how do you you know kind of make sure that you're on a good footing to trust the person who comes in like what do you you read various books like what i'm trying to figure out is you know i feel like a lot of entrepreneurs come in and they figure out a process that works for them that may be mostly informed just by you know trial and error but then when you need to hand it off to someone you need to know like this person's competent 
when they're coming in the door. So how do you get ready to gauge that this person is, you know, the person to fill those shoes? I think something I was, I really liked the, the Dave Ramsey approach. One of, one of the things was, you know, we, we want to, as much as we can hire from within a framework of people that we already know mm-hmm. as best we can. So we've, a lot of the best employees we have or have ever had have been referrals from people that already know them so they can, they can vouch for them or they know that that person's personality type is as much as we can do that with a salesperson slash designer. I want to try to do that. I want to the Dave Ramsey concept here that I alluded to there was like, once we get deeper into discussions and negotiations with that person, if they're outside of our, our circle of, of people that we know, I want to meet family. I'd like to meet the wife or spouse or husband or whatever and go to dinner with them and kind of get a gauge for what that family dynamic is as best we can. And maybe understand their personality a little bit more, know what their hobbies are, their interests are, what their, their focus in life is on outside of work mm-hmm. and just start to really try to, you know, if, if the person is, you know, super oriented towards serving others outside of work, that would be a good sign, right? They're very involved in their church or their school or their PTO or PTA or band boosters or whatever. Like that's going to help me start to gauge a little bit of what kind of person they are, I think. Mm-hmm. And so there's all that stuff. And then on top of that, like what, I mean, what work criterion or, you know, credentials, I'm sorry, what work credentials they have that co- you know, correlate hopefully with all the personal skill set that is hopefully like what we're looking for and start to put those two things together, I guess. So hopefully that's, that, that's all, that's the theory in my head anyway. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. So I know working with maintenance guys to do like hiring for crews there are red flags that we look for, but I feel like they're maybe a little more obvious than when you're trying to hire someone for like a sales position or something. Like we do Indeed ads for people and I do the automated phone interviews and I personally review those. And I can't tell you how many guys I've had disqualify themselves by talking about like getting in fist fights in the workplace and being like, that's how that's how we settle conflict in the workplace. And it's like, Nah, man, if we, if I recommend you, I'm opening myself up to liability if you hit someone later. So I don't think that you're going to have a salesperson come in and sell themselves to you as someone who gets in fights in the workplace. What, what are the red flags that you're looking for, for, you know, that kind of position? What I would, what I would say is, you know, a couple of things is, you know, the salespeople, especially if you're interviewing salespeople, well, they're really good at sales, hopefully. And they're also yeah. going to be then theoretically really good at selling themselves. So that's why, mm-hmm. to your point, like why you're going to need to be really good at, at digging past those onion, the layers of that onion, right? To make sure that they uh, they have that. Things I would be looking for would be their past work experience and what their opinion of their past employers is. If they couldn't mm-hmm. just seem to get along with anybody, it was always the employer's fault. That's a huge red flag to me. If, if things are always other people's faults and we don't fall on the sword for anything, that right there is a huge red flag to me. And in any aspect of our company, people are hiring and it's always so-and-so's fault and I never do anything wrong or I won't accept that or I, I don't have the mental capacity to realize that you know I could possibly be wrong in something. Yeah. Uh, that would be a, a huge one for me there for sure. Okay, so you guys are like looking at the the next level up for the business is starting to delegate sales what 
what did the path getting here look like? Like what was the, the next last thing that you took off your plate? Oh, good, good question. A huge of it, a huge part of it has been in, in our business, maybe part of what makes us a little unique in this situation is the fact that we're running a kind of a couple other businesses as well at the same time that my wife and I are focusing on. So we have the landscape construction aspect of things, landscape design work, but then we also have a podcast. We have a social, a handful of social media channels that we're trying to grow. We have a thing called the Hardscape Academy. And it's a training platform for building and constructing uh, landscapes and hardscapes. And so we have, we, we're very, we're very pulled and we're pulled in a lot of directions running that. And so the part of it that uh, we would have more time if we weren't doing those things, we would be able to, to focus on sales and stuff like that through probably another million dollars worth of work if we wanted to. And so we could probably operate as we were probably up to about 2 million, I think, if we didn't have those other ventures going at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that part being said, that that's a little different for us. But ultimately, big part of still freeing up enough time to where even we can be doing what we're doing now. And by the way, we have three children that are under 10 years old. So, you know, we're at a very busy time time frame in life there and for the next 10 years, I'm sure. But where we're where we're going with that is is a lot of office and administrative stuff trying to streamline that and they're hiring out a lot of those services services and using you know a payroll service using a time tracking service we have an accountant that we pay that does remote accounting for us now and so Brittany's not taking time in the office to do quick book affiliations and things like that we're hiring that stuff out so that she can still focus on top tier or you know higher level thinking and strategy stuff and so we started you know, once we got past half a million, let's say we started taking as much stuff off of our internal plates as possible because Britt and I are not in the field or, you know, producing work hardly at all anymore. We're, we're producing work in other, in other things aside from running the company, but we're really trying to, to eliminate any of that stuff that we can pay someone else to do so that we can focus on the things that keep the company, you know, rolling ahead more big picture things. Yeah. So that was, that was that tier ahead of this. That's a good, good question. At what point were you and Brittany entirely out of the field? Entirely out was probably at least five years ago. If not, probably a little bit longer than that. It's always been my goal as a business owner to, I mean, always has been my business goal to not be the one person reliant on field production that if I get sick or hurt, that production stops. Mm-hmm. I've always had that that mantra and always had the goal of building a company that was reliable and able to support a family and my team's family and all that stuff. And so like when I was young, I mean, young, like 20 and 16 and maybe even mid twenties, you know, some of my buddies and peers at that time were running companies and I'd run into them, you know, every so often. And they'd say, you know, say, Hey man, how's business, whatever. Oh, well, you know, I, I quit. I needed to get a real job or I needed to, you know, it just wasn't cutting it. And, and my wife told me I need to get a real job because they were running a mowing company or something at the time. And, and it never sat right with me. It always bugged me. It's like, well, we do have real jobs. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. this is, we're running companies, man. But they didn't see it as that. I, that was always fuel in my fire of like, I'm going to make a company that is, that will support a family and will support my guys' families we are, we do have real jobs. What are you talking about? That just never sat right with me. It's like, it was such a disrespect for our own industry of lawn care. Just, it was just mowing grass. No, we can make a living doing this stuff. And now granted we pivoted out of that into the industry 
after a few years, you know, still in the green industry, but just in the landscaping and landscape construction and livings can be made in one tier still. I know guys do it all the time, but that was always a big driving force for me. So to, to answer your, your question the long way around, I reckon, I don't know. Man, so off topic, it doesn't even count anymore, Cody. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was always the goal to remove myself from the field or to where I, I wasn't in our overhead structure, wasn't reliant on me being in the field. And that was part of like something I would say I have. I've really been bad at a lot of things, but one of them is, has been, I've, I think I've always been pretty good at releasing my guys into the field to, to give them enough rope to, you know, to climb or to, to hang themselves with and or learn from, you know, and, and do that. So I hope that at least is something I can keep going forward of just being willing to accept that not everything's going to be perfect all the time. And we're just going to pivot and adjust and fix things as we can. And if things are messed up and like Steve Jobs said, you know, decisions, you know, decisions will be made. And, they will, and if you ter- empower your team to make good decisions or make decisions, period, it's going to be better. Even if they make a bad decision, it's better that they made a decision in the field instead of him hauling around or waiting or waiting to hear from you or get direction from you. They made a decision, they executed on it and kept moving forward. Mm-hmm. And if we got to go back a step, but we went, we went forward two steps, you know, just because the decision got made, so be it. So I've always tried to make sure my guys know, like, you have company credit cards, you have, you know, the authority to make a decision in the field. If you need to, to do something, do it. And yeah. if you can't get a hold of me for it, make, make a decision and do it. And just, if you're wrong, that's okay. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to worry about it. We're, we're going to, we're going to learn together. Yeah. And then I think one, one final question here, what do you feel like was your biggest mistake on the road to, to 1 million in top line? Absolutely. Without failure. And that wasn't without a doubt. I mean, in my first, you know, 10 years in business from when I was like 16 to essentially almost 26, maybe 28, somewhere in there, I just did not pay attention to my financials at all. Hardly. My first five years, I kind of did. And, and then I, I got just sidetracked, just trying to grow like crazy. And I never even got in close to my million dollar goal, not even close, but I was just, again, work 12 hours in the field, try to sell some work at night, try to bid some work, maybe pay my taxes. Generally I didn't, I got super behind in taxes, all this crazy crap. I made the biggest tax mess, which I realized after talking to so many people through social media stuff that I'm not alone in that. It's a huge, in my accountant, even when he came in. I finally turned over my, my finances to someone that could straighten it out, which took years. Um, they're like, dude, we have these, we have these situations all the time, guys that just get behind and get behind on taxes. And I was really my biggest thing is I just really screwed up not paying, not filing, not turning in fi- tax filings for quarterlies and payroll, just all this crap. I made a hell of a mess. It was awful. And so not paying attention to my financials. And then you get to a point too, where you get so scared you start trying to run away from everything or ignore it. And I pray I, I beg you don't do that because they, they, all those agencies will find you eventually. They'll get you and uh, they'll say, Hey, you owe us money from, you know, years ago, you know, how are we going to fix this? And their options to fix things aren't as always great as uh, whatever. So get, get good help when it, when, if you're in that kind of mess, but, and there's a lot of people out there and that's why you share it. Cause it's pretty embarrassing to admit that you were so stupid and so ignorant to not pay taxes for years. Cause you're just scared. You didn't know how, or you're having a bad quarter and you're just like, you know what, next month, next quarter, we'll do better. We'll get caught up on our last taxes. And meanwhile, you're still selling work 12 hours a day. And last thing you want to do is, is profit and losses and, and all that crap. And so yeah. for the owner operators out there wearing all those hats, you have to, take a day a week or whatever and be diligent of actually running the company. Otherwise just go get a job working for somebody else. Cause you can have the same, 
you can find a good company to go work for and be their lead person, their right-hand man, and not have to deal with all the business crap and still get the accolades of building cool projects and stuff or doing whatever. You you cannot be a technician and, and run a successful business. You have to be a businessman. And that's the number one thing. Number one thing, be a businessman. Yeah, I appreciate you being open about that because I know that that's, it's something that stresses me out a lot. I first year in business hired CPA to take care of filing the taxes and everything because I just knew that like, I already dreaded doing my personal return. I don't need like the added complication of doing that. And then one thing I wanted to to point people toward, I've recommended this book before, but it was really helpful to me is Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. Oh yeah, Um, sure. So he, if you've read like Profit First, it is a very similar model, except for time management, where you just start with like, you pull up to the office or the shop in the morning and you take five minutes before you go inside and everyone presents their fire of the day that needs to be put out. You take that five minutes to work on some things that you don't normally get done, put the things that you don't want to do ahead of the, the things that you actually enjoy doing. Um, so that they get done. Hmm. That's so good. Then dude, you are genius level business person compared to me, you know, 10 years ago, knowing just to hire out your weaknesses. And that's boy, that's a good point right there. Hire out your weaknesses. Yeah. If you suck at it, get somebody else to do it. Cause the, cause the thing is your clients and when you're starting a business, I get it, man. And you got no money. Cash flow is nightmare, getting paid, all that. Dude, I have been there so often and we still have, we still struggle with that, man. But like, I so get it. But as soon as you can and as fast as you can, hire out the services and the things you dread doing, exactly that. The things you dread doing, get somebody else to do it. That That is their cup. Yeah, that is their cup of tea, yeah. right? Like your clients aren't asking you to file their taxes, are they? No, they are asking you <laughs> to perform, you know, the best lawn mowing, the best you know, hardscape construction work, the best audio, the best marketing. That's what they're coming to you for. They're not coming to you. Hey man, can you, you know, change my oil and rotate my tires? No. So hire the people that you're, that are proficient in what you don't, you know, enjoy. There's nothing CPAs love more than crunching numbers. Those weirdos turn that over to them and let them crush that. And you go crush you. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that. And so dude, your genius level there, I, I got to hand it to you. So good job. I just don't want to go to jail. That's my main thing. I never want to, never want to go to jail. I don't want an IRS agent at my. So I, I knew immediately I need to pay somebody to do this because I, that is the kind of thing I will procrastinate into oblivion. I did that, and I did, man. And and, and you've really got to be deep in the hole where someone physically shows up bad. I mean, they they go after the big. Just so you know, this is not to not scare people out there, but I mean, they will send you some <laughs> letters that will scare you to death and send you. Know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you might talk to the guy, some of these letters they send you, man, because it is scary stuff, man. It is scary stuff. So yeah, get you get your stuff in order because it's only going to get worse. It's never going to get better if you ignore that stuff. I can promise you that. Death and taxes, the only two sureties, right? Well, Caleb, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If people are looking for you online, where can they find you? The Ad Almond Landscape on Instagram. It's actually Ad Almond Landscape LLC on Instagram. But we have YouTube, TikTok, all that stuff. We're, we're all there and, and be be, uh, be happy to see if so you come find us. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have links in the show notes here where you can find Caleb online. And again, man, thanks so much for, for hopping on with me. I appreciate it. Dude, that was fun. Thank you. I'm flattered to be on. Thank you again. You're welcome.